are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Great to see you. I, uh, I'd love to tell you, um, spend some time talking about uh, the last four months and processing through what it's like to go to church somewhere between two and seven times a week for 45 years and then not go for about four months. That's a strange feeling. Uh, love to tell you about our process. Love to tell you about my youngest son getting, getting engaged. Uh, lots of stuff I want to tell you about. Excited about the church, excited about where things are going. But if you don't mind, I'm going I'm to save all that for another day. I've got about three messages I want to pack into about less than 40 minutes. So we're going to go from soup to nuts, the beginning of time to the end of time, the entire gospel message in 40 minutes. So I got a pretty ambitious goal right now. So do you mind if we just jump in? How about that? So uh, I, I really didn't have a heart to preach for a few months. It was weird. And then about a month ago, I just there was something in me that was saying, I really want to preach the good news, the gospel. You know, we never get tired of singing songs to our Lord, of worship, of praise, of lifting up. Did you notice how many, how many of the songs are about the names of God? And uh, the, the word says that if the spirit is in you, you have life. And if the spirit is not in you, you don't have life. It's pretty yes or no. It's pretty one or two. It's binary. I got the spirit or I don't. And if you have the spirit, there's something in us that wants to worship the king and give gratitude to the king. And I've noticed the last few weeks of worship. And by the way, I just think I've... There's something about corporate worship. If you pull yourself away from it and come back, like, I need it. I personally need corporate worship. We all do. Yes, we all do. And have you noticed the, uh, the worship leaders are encouraging us to sing a new song? One of my heart cries for our church is that any time a worship leader says, Let's sing a new song that it's already just sitting on the top of your heart and it comes out immediately. In fact, they have to stop you. In fact, they're getting blown away by the volume. That's what I want. We have a little work to do in that area. We're going to get there. But I want 300 people that come with a song of the Lord on their heart. The world has their songs, don't they? We have our songs and our songs are beautiful. For most of my Christian life, I've, um, I just see the gospel in most every page of the Bible I read. It's kind of a cool thing. It's hidden there. You know, God hides things for his people and he keeps them from those he doesn't want to see. The parables are that way. Only God could write a book where The mysteries are revealed to his people and hidden from others. It's very unusual. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see that glory. 
And we're going to talk today about how you break those blinders and how people can become where they can see. But, and sometimes you'll see the entire gospel in one verse. You know, you, um, you see what you're looking for. If you go by a white expedition, it seems like every other car on the road is a white expedition. You know that? So Lindy and I are empty nesters, and um, the last several cars have been, I've got them because my business can help pay for it, but this time I said, I really want to get her a car. She wanted a white expedition. I, there's, you know, we're empty nesters. We should buy fancy, nice cars. Uh, sports cars, fun cars, convertibles. That's what you do when you're empty. She wants a big old gas guzzler, ugly, not ugly, just a, just a big old thing so she can carry all those grandkids around. You see what you're looking for. Romans 8, 29, if you'll, I hope you'll look, you'll go there with me. I'm preaching out of the Amplified Bible. I used to, I've had some loquacious preachers in my background when I was sitting in your seat. And when they'd open a, a Amplified Bible, I'd say, Lord, he's going to talk forever if he gets an Amplified Bible. <laughs> you know, there's 730,000 words in the Bible. And uh, the Amplified must be at least a million. Like, why did they need more? Wasn't that enough? Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew. And I'll read the extra that has the Amplified. And he says there, it says, and loved and chose beforehand. He foreknew you, but he chose you and loved you beforehand. And he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When I read something fantastic in the Bible, when I read something that pricks my level of faith, when I read something so extraordinary, I don't try to just keep going. Stop. Arrest myself. Like, he's chosen me. And he's called me. And he said, he's predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know? As a child of the King of Kings, you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, the perfect one. If I believe that, I've had church. If that could go a little deeper in me, I've had church. In his complete sanctification so that he would be the firstborn, Jesus would be the firstborn the most beloved and honored among many believers. Jesus, the elder brother, you being conformed into the image of Jesus as a younger brother. We're all, young, we're all sons of God here, ladies, right? Men, you're the bride of Christ. Women, you're the sons of God. We can, we can handle it, right? Just get over it, get through it. We're all becoming sons of God. It's an amazing verse. And, and so you've been predestined. Here in one verse, he takes you from the beginning of time. Before the foundation, you were chosen. And he takes you to the end of time that you'd be conformed to the image of his son. 
In one verse, the entire gospel. In one verse, the purpose. The purpose of what he's doing. From A to Z, soup to nuts. I don't know what soup to nuts means, but it's, (laughs) we say it, so we're going to just. But he goes from the beginning of the foundation to the end of time. And you are at the end. What's the purpose of all this stuff? What's the purpose of the 730,000 words? To reveal how he's conforming you to the image of his son. Now the, the camera guys say if you stand out in the sun, it just screws it up for everybody online, but I don't care, I'm standing here. We're just gonna, we're, this is how we do it. So, so I'm sorry. Go to Ephesians 1.4. A very similar verse, and Ephesians is just beautiful. And just as in his love, he chose us in Christ. He chose us in Christ. Honestly, I, I don't know that I understand how I'm predestined and chosen in Christ and how the tension of that is that Jesus says it's the will of God that all men would be saved. There's a tension for me. But I revert back to the nature of God, the God Elohim, the God who's good, the God who's all-powerful, the God who's all-knowing, the God who is love, the God of grace, the God of generosity, the God who never fails, the God who's long-suffering, the God who loves from beginning to end. And those things I don't understand in the Bible that feel like their intention, I know that in a twinkling of an eye, when we go to heaven, it says we'll know all things and we'll be fully known. In a snap, those things will be clear to me. Because the God who's good and the God who's true and the God who's right and the God whose ways are higher than my ways, he's got it figured out. So I trust his word. And I know it's there for us. And in Ephesians 1.4, when it says, he chose us in Christ, And the Amplified says he actually selected us for himself as his own. Isn't that beautiful? You've been chosen for him, by him, for himself. He chose you for himself before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we would be holy, that is, consecrated, set apart for him, purpose-driven, and blameless in his sight. It's saying the same thing as we just read in Romans 8, 29. You've been chosen to be holy in him. You've been chosen before the foundation, before the foundation of the world, before time ever began. And let's just say I'm standing on a timeline and the stage is a timeline and your left is creation. But the foundations of the world are way to my right. We're beyond Highway 74. We're at the railroad tracks in Tyrone. Before the foundations of the world, God was dreaming about you. You were the apple of his eye. He was thinking about you. Zephaniah 3 says he was 
twirling and shrieking. Can you imagine? Justin and Jen, they brought home a dog and they surprised their four girls. The girls were twirling and shrieking and sobbing and crying. And emotions were not being held in check. Can you imagine the God of universe before the foundation of the world, past the railroad tracks, thinking about you only, only you? And John 1.1, 1, 1, it talks about before... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Before anything was made, all this was going on. Before the foundation, they were thinking about you. Think about the identity message of that, that you were known before the foundation by name, by uniqueness by the unique stamp of your DNA, by the unique stamp of the fingers, by your unique voice. And compare that to the alternative that the world has to offer. What's the system of our world? What's the atheistic evolutionary alternative to of these 730,000 words? The first four, in the beginning, God. Our culture, the world we live in, the vast majority of people cannot get past the first four or five words of our 730,000, where God is trying to tell you, write a book to reveal himself to you. To tell, let me tell you about me. You know, in something that can come alive in your spirit. In the beginning, God created. They reject that and believe that somewhere, billions and billions of years down, now we're in Sharpsburg, <laughs> billions of years in Sharpsburg, we, um, we had a bang. And I remember as a nine-year-old when I first heard this, like, I had no predisposition to believing in God. I had never, I don't believe I'd ever been in church my entire life. I don't think I'd been a wedding or funeral at age nine. I had never been in church. Can you believe that? No predisposition to God. And when I heard that, I'm like, but where did space and matter and where was the chemicals that create the bang? Like, You come into our kingdom with childlike, childlikeness. But a child can't, has a problem with their premise. Like, where did it start from? Like, who created the stuff? Who was it? Preston or something in 1974? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> like, that's their, that's their deal. Like, I've got problem with the nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And then it gets less noble and more ugly and more harsh from there. Here's their system. Uh, We're going to have billions of aberrations, billions of miscarriages, billions of bad science experiments. None of them are going to work. 
billions and billions and billions of trials that end up ugly, and then one day we end up with perfection. Like, I just don't have that much faith. It's just so much, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the easy way out. In the beginning, God created it. much easier for me. Like, I mean, the more we learn about science, the more it's like, Really? Like they said the human eye, Darwin would just have nightmares. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> the beauty of a, a man and a woman on their wedding night, the beauty of joy of a child being born, the beauty of waves coming in and stopping at the right spot so that it doesn't flood half of Florida, the beauty of the stars set, the Big Dipper set and in the sky and the mountains and the, water and the snow that just comes out. The beauty of our universe, the microbiologist said, the, the smaller you get, the more God is just screaming. Yeah. And the astronomers, the bigger you get, the further you go, God is screaming. Yeah. Theirs is a harsh reality and yours is a noble beginning. God knew you before the foundation of the earth. Why would anyone choose that one? You're just a mass, a fetal tissue, and maybe you get through the womb. If you're in that system, abortion, you should be for it. Makes sense. It's Darwinist. It's live for today. Their, their life is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the system of the world. That's what the world has to offer you. We love Dave Matthews' uh, music in our family and had a poster on the wall. And Heck, we were at uh, Houston's one day and he was in the table next door. It was so cool seeing him. But my best friend from high school flew to Atlanta a few years ago and said, hey, let's go to Dave Matthews' concert. He's a huge Dave Matthews. So I go, and, uh, but that song, Eat, Drink, and Be Merry, For Tomorrow We Die, is the song of another kingdom. Yeah. It's not a song of the Lord. It's a song of another kingdom. And I sat there in that concert, and we were like, great seats, 20 rows back. There was glory, billowing clouds. <laughs> there was the fragrance of God. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, there's an apostle leading worship for another kingdom. And they were worshiping another king and another philosophy and another God. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And at the end of their story, the end of their story is a Kansas song dust in the wind. We're going back old school today, guys. Old school. What a beautiful song. I mean, dust in the wind, one of the most beautiful songs of the 70s. But, but that's their philosophy. Nothing from nothing came nothing. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And dust in the wind, you're just dust. And you're no different than a coyote when you die. And don't tell me you're important than a, more important than a spotted owl or a humpback whale because that philosophy gets all screwed up when you get rid of Genesis. 
Because Genesis says you have authority over the kingdom, animal kingdom, the plant kingdom. You are God's. God came over here and before the foundation of the world, he put his will, he set his will on you and he set his desires on you and he said he pursued his love and he, and he actually directed his love toward you and you were the crown of his creation. Like all the first few days, it was good. Ab and Eve, it's very good. And he said, I'm gonna make them I'm going to make Adam and I'm going to make Eve in my image. You're different than the humpback whale. I'm sorry. In the beginning, God created and he set his eyes upon you. Let's go to Psalms 139, verse 13. For you formed my innermost parts and you knit me together in my mother's womb and I give thanks and praise to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was formed in secret and intricately and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were appointed for me, and yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I'm still with you. One of the things we used to do at the beach, I'll tell you about in a minute, but they... But he formed you and he knit you. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb, before you were apple of his eye. If you're a believer, you should believe the word of God. If you believe the word of God, you should believe Psalm 139. If you believe Psalm 139, you're pro-life. He knew you while you were in your mother's womb. He knit you together. And he says that I... My thoughts toward you are like the sand of the sea. Does that stretch anyone's faith? It stretches mine. Like the sand of the sea. He's had that many thoughts toward you. When we take the school of ministry to the beach, uh, sometimes we'll do a talk and I'll, I'll do one and I'll, I'll just fill up a red solo cup, you know, the kind the frat boys drink beer and think everybody, nobody knows they're drinking beer. And... I fill it up with sand and I'll just begin to pour it out. And his thoughts toward you outnumber the sand of the sea. And we'll pour it out slowly. Sometimes it's taken so long I thought he was like magnifying the bread or something. It took forever one year. Two or three of the young ladies in the front began to weep is the revelation that God was thinking about them that way. Every one of us, every one of you, the sand of the sea. I had faith for a red solo cup. There's a lot of grains of sands in a red solo cup. I 
Ours is a noble call and a noble beginning. Ours is the greatest news ever. And we get to that, the Garden of Eden. Eden, which means pleasure. Do you think God doesn't want you to have pleasure? God named the first house Eden, pleasure. And he put Adam and Eve there. And they had access to God. They got to go for walks with God. God was pursuing them continuing to pursue them with his love. And they're in the garden, and there's no sin. And they got a great life ahead of them. There was no disease. There was no disorder. There was no lack. This is God's will toward us. This is the noble calling of what you have been chosen for. And this was plan A. This is God, our good, loving, wonderful God. This is the good news. This was plan A. And it says, you were in Adam. Adam, the first man. And we were all in him. The God who knows no time, no space. He's not marked by time. He marks time. And so some of this gets kind of trippy for me, but we're in Adam. You were in Adam. I was in Adam. And it doesn't necessarily seem fair, but when Adam sinned, we sinned. And all nature fall, fell. It says even, even creation is groaning. Like it's waiting on redemption. And we were in Adam and we fell. And everyone since then has sinned. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And you know, that's the easiest verse in the Bible to believe. Because I, I know I've sinned, and I've never met anybody who hasn't. So the whole planet can believe that verse. Easy. All sin falls short of the glory of God. Another verse, Romans 6.33, every believer should learn. It's like, it's like a building block. For the wages of sin is death. If, if the gospel is a big Jenga game, this one's right at the bottom. It's kind of a key piece. The wages of sin is death. And when Adam sinned, death entered the world. I don't believe, I, I believe the Bible. So I don't believe the other people's story that we had billions of years of death and aberration before the first man and Adam sinned. I just don't believe it. I think I'll get to heaven and something will go, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. I go, oh yeah, the Bible's right. right. <laughs> it's just like that. When we get there, you can wink at me. Yeah, hey Steve, it was just like that. <laughs> the gospel falls apart if you have billions of years of death. Like that's a huge Jenga box. That little block there is right at the bottom. You better not pull that one out because death started then. And if you read Genesis carefully, he, he talked about the plant matter. They, it looks like they were all vegetarians. I'm a hardcore carnivore, but they looked like they were eating plants. Like 
animals weren't dying before before Adam and Eve sinned. So sin enters the world. And the song of the song of the world goes something like this. Doom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Doom, despair, agony on me. That's just what happens after the fall. And it's so bad they can sing fun songs about it, but it's true. And so Adam sins right here, and we got a ways to go to the cross. But what enters the world is disease and divorce and wars and rumors of wars and heartache and misses and miscommunication and lack and poverty. And, and I could spend 20 minutes there and get us all depressed. But it's rocket science, right? I mean, we're all, I mean, it's obvious, right? We, we're broken people in a broken world. Hurt people hurt people. We're all hurt. We're all broken. We've all had stuff happen to us. Justin's here a moment ago and, and just horrible things. Young people sexualized. It, it's rampant. We're broken. We had broken parents that taught us how to, to parent brokenly, and we tried to do a little bit better, but as Jen so beautifully said, you know, on a good day, we're a 70-plus percent, and that's a C-minus where I came from. And we come in broken. We come in in need. We come in all in need. We have a common father in Adam. Crazy for believers to be racist when we all have the same dad. Like, I don't get that. We have the same dad. We have the same inheritance. We have, we have the same fallen nature. There's no reason for any of us to look down at someone else, right? There's no reason to look down at someone else's fallen nature that looks a little bit worse than mine. Because I don't know what they went through. I don't know what the cards they started with. I might have started with a whole lot better cards than they did. At least I had one ace. So we come in with the heart of the Father that's kind and And Jesus, God has this dilemma. I love them. I've chosen them from the foundation. They're my kids. I have this wonderful plan for them. But he's not a man who can lie. And when he says the wages of sin is death, it's, that's the way it is. He's not like one of those bad parents of them all like, Johnny, if you don't do it, I'm going to come get you. <laughs> Johnny, I really mean it this time. Johnny, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. He's not, a, 
He doesn't parent like that. Like, what do you, he doesn't say, oops, I didn't really mean that. Oh, take it back. He's the word is true. He's the faithful one. The wages of sin is death. And he's the, this great dilemma of time. Like, I love my kids, but I'm separated from them. And before the foundation of the world, Jesus, the God who was, the word, Jesus was God, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was there in John chapter 1 in the beginning. And they formulated a plan. It wasn't an oops plan. It wasn't a plan B. Oh, we didn't think about this. They knew it from the beginning. They knew it when they chose you before the foundation. This is the greatest news ever. Like it never gets old. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, impregnates Mary. He, he goes to, and Mary, in my opinion, needs to be a human, not deity. Or the gospel doesn't work. Now she's worthy of honor. Like he, he roamed all the Jewish girls, all the virgin Jewish girls, and picked her. That's pretty cool. How would you like to be Mary's dad? Like, I'm very excited. So <laughs> he picked her. But she represented humanness and mankind. The Holy Spirit represented God. Jesus, fully God, fully man. If Mary's deity, that's fully God and fully God. Fully God, fully man. And then Jesus says that he actually, he just, he became human and like he discarded his deity. And he set it aside for a moment and became, he, he, it's a mystery. He remained fully God and fully man, but he walked the earth as human. That, that's tripping you, come see me. I'll give you all the verses. I don't have time. I'm going from A to Z today. <laughs> Bill Johnson has a way of taking these complex subjects in two sentences. He goes, you go, wow. <laughs> if he did his miracles as God, I'm impressed. If he did them as a human, I'm compelled to follow. And so he walks, and if he walked a sinless life as God, I'm impressed. But if he walked as a man, that's something else. Every temptation you or I have ever experienced, he experienced and said no. Every lustful thought, every prideful thought, every selfish thought, every time he was short with his, every time you've been short with your spouse. Imagine none of that. Every one of those temptations he walked through. And then as it was planned from the beginning, he goes, God himself, Jesus is God, goes and crawls and gets up on that cross willfully. From eternity past, he's been in fellowship with God and he's separating that for a season where he's separated from God and the sins of the whole world, all of your sins, 
all of my sins got put on him. Can you imagine? As he's separated from a fellowship with the Father from eternity, in perfect union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he gets up and he's separated and he screams, it is finished. That's the love we're singing about. That's the heart of Jen's message last week where she talked about love and the gospel. And you could feel the anointing on that message. God himself crawls up on the cross in this perfect marriage that solves the problem of I love them to death, but sin has a price and it's called death and I will die for them. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And because we were born in Adam, and we were born in sin, and we were broken, we need to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. John Donaldson's reminding me of the chosen. Which one is it? Number seven? It's the seventh in the first season where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Go look. It's so beautiful. Like you can feel it. You can feel the anointing. Like, oh, I feel like I'm there. You must be born again. And somehow... You may think, well, I just was born in a Christian family. He chose you. Well, I'm just born in America in the South. I was the lucky one. How's that fair? God's got it figured out. The God who's good has it figured out. I was born in the South. I mean, I Grew up most of the time in the South. I never went to church. We got a chi grew up in the Middle East. He's got like 15 generations of Christian pastors ahead of him. Like, who figures that out? Like, he had a better chance than I did. He grew up in the Middle East. God's got it figured out. Muslims in the, Muslims in the Middle East are having dreams of Jesus appearing to them. God's got it figured out. He's a fair God. He's a just God. He's a good God. Who am I to question him? My goodness. This cross is powerful. It will break the power of sin. And if you were in Adam, it says Jesus is the second Adam, the final Adam. And you can be in Christ when he's on Romans 6. I'm in him. I'm in him when he's on the cross when he died. I'm in him when he was resurrected from the dead. I'm in him, seated with him in heavenly places. It's trippy. But can you believe it? 
Do I have ears to hear and eyes to see? That just as it feels unfair, you were in him in sin. Maybe it's unfair. You're in him when he resurrected from the dead. And, he, and, and the cross and you being in him and you being dead in your sins in baptism and coming up in newness of life, he's broken the power of fear of death. He's broken the power of canceled sin. You don't have to sin. On this side of the cross, I don't have to sin anymore. I'm not a professional anymore. You're a rank amateur. You're a pro over there. You aren't a pro over here. It's not your nature. When I sin, I'm out of my nature. I don't have to be addicted to anything. I can be free. He wants me free. From the foundation of the world, he chose me to be being conformed to the image of God. He's coming back for a bride. She's spotless. She's beautiful. She walks with her head held high and adorned in splendor. She's not a broken down hag. She's a beautiful bride. She's loving. She's clean. She's pure. She's holy. Man, you're a part of the bride of Christ. He's conforming you to the image of his son. And there's power at the cross. Two or three weeks ago, we, um, I don't know, was it three weeks ago, Vanessa was texting the staff, like she'll just be texting the staff before worship. This is what's going to happen. And, you know, making declarations. I'm believing God's going to do this. Was that two weeks ago? Three weeks ago, and I felt the Holy Spirit said her purity and her positivity is creating power and anointing that you could feel. Jen, last week, purity and the positivity of the gospel brings an anointing. That's what causes people to run up on stage and stuff happening all over the church. We like messy church. (laughs) Tidy church, no. Messy church, good. (laughs) So I'm just to your right of the cross, and this is where most, most of us are living, born again, not quite there at the end of days. And I, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm frustrated. Like I've been no church for 17 years, but the last, whatever that is, 47 years, I've been in church a lot. And sometimes I'm like, I don't feel very close to that. Like when I do something or say something or feel something or think something that's totally anti-Jesus, I'm like, shouldn't I be further along? Anyone else feel that way? Like, what the heck? This is frustrating. So how do you grow? And are you growing? 
it would be easier if you had a dashboard on your spiritual car that said growth and you were either full or empty or where is it? I've had times where my growth meter is on zero and I've had times, seasons where I'm in the red line. Are you growing? This noble gospel, chosen before the foundation, called to be holy in his sight, made right and born again by God himself, becoming sacrifice for your sins. This noble gospel, he knows you by name. In Revelation 2, he says, I've got a little stone and we're gonna fit this house together. The, the house is the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the chief's cornerstone being Jesus. And we're gonna fit little stones into that house and your name is one on one of them and you've got a unique name, you've never seen it. Think about the nobility of this calling. And think about it in comparison to a mass of bad experiments and maybe you just work your way through and dust in the wind. Like it is, that philosophy sucks. And this one is so noble and beautiful. Why would anyone choose that? They choose it because the enemy gives them the illusion that they're the master of their own destiny. They're their own God. They are the ones calling the shots. And they don't want to be one that bows the knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the only reason you would choose that trashy, evil, horrific philosophy over the noble God that loves you from the foundation because you want to be your own God. But it's an illusion. It's an illusion because Bob Dylan, as he sang so beautifully, <laughs> you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. <laughs> they're an illusion that they're their own God, but behind the curtain, he's there. The God of this age is there. So why are we not all in? When the blinders are taken off and we truly see the gospel of the king, why are we not all in? Our kingdom does, isn't as much fun when you're not all in. In fact, it's kind of... There's a, there's a tension. There's a terror. There's a, there's, you're not right if you're not all in. Because our God is a jealous God. He won't relent until he has it all. He won't relent until he has it all. He's a jealous God. And he'll keep working circumstances. He'll let you go around the mountain a few times, but he's going to hit you and say, come on, baby. He's going to love you. It's probably a better way to say it. He's going to love you into the kingdom. 
Sometimes he's going to slap you upside the head. But most of the time, he's just going to love you into the kingdom. Why aren't I growing faster? We don't grow because sometimes we get baggage. And two weeks ago, I felt the Holy Spirit just take some of my baggage, some of my whining, some of my introspection about these decisions of what happened in life and certain things I thought should be. And in the simplicity and the purity of the gospel and in the song of the Lord, you can have it all, Lord. A little blinder comes off. This is all our story, isn't it? A blinder comes off and I see a little more clearly And I catch myself taking my stuff to the bottom of the cross. Because my stuff suddenly in his presence and in worship and in seeing more clearly feels awfully petty in light of the King of Kings who loved me like that. And in the presence and in worship with my friends. And in ministers of the gospel who sing from purity and positivity and know the king, anointing happens to break through. So we get an adjustment, a spiritual chiropractic adjustment. And we're back on track to being conformed to the image of Christ. Sometimes, like the seeds, you're getting distracted. The seed gets thrown. You get distracted by the cares of this world. You get distracted by weary and well-doing. You get distracted by an addiction or a sin. But the God of this age and the God of purity and the God of anointing wants to break that so that you are free. Free to be all that he thought about you in the foundation. Free to be your best self and free to be a child of the king, carrying the fragrance of our God and king. That's your calling. Lord gave me a new song once. You've been, you've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. Isn't that beautiful? And it's your song too. You've been ransomed from that fall. You've been ransomed to a call on your life. And you've been ransomed by a one, the one who knows you by name. Why would we put one foot in an inferior, horrible philosophy? So your call to action, if you'd stand, please. There's something about just doing something to respond to a call. We would, uh, Lindy and I had a chance to go on several 
ministry trips with Bill Johnson and, and in the healing services, if he could just get you to move, like that movement would often initiate a healing, like just move. And if you would, if the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart about anything today, something to give up, something you need prayer for, something to give up in this world, something to buy in to this gospel that's so good, something to just say thank you. I want you to move. I want you to come forward. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to move. It says I'm responding to something speaking to my heart. I want you to move. So Lord, we thank you for your gospel, this good news. We thank you, you chose us from the beginning and you, you have a plan for the end of our life. We thank you that we've been ransomed from a fall, ransomed to a call, and ransomed by the one, you, who knows our name. And Lord, I just pray we'd walk worthy of the names written over our heads. We'd be worthy of the Jesus who gave his life for us. We'd walk worthy of this high and mighty calling. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.